And welcome on Dwayne Stanislavski, and I'm one of the co-hosts of this show. The other co-host, Dr. Maria Chernat, is currently vacationing. Uh, so I'll be here alone, or actually not exactly alone, because uh, recently I had the honor of interviewing two prominent uh, U.S. peace activists, Medea Benjamin, founder of Code Pink, uh, Women Against War, uh, and author of a recently published book on the war in Ukraine. Uh, and Anne Wright, a former U.S. State Department official who resigned in protest uh, against the war in Iraq. Uh, what struck me most during this long conversation was, I think, the, the emotion, the passion and uh, the seriousness of commitment uh, both Medea and Anne have for opposing U.S. imperialism and advocating for peace and understanding and diplomacy. And now for the interview, it's divided into three parts, each of which is equally interesting. Something pretty unimaginable for an average consumer of news here in Eastern Europe, like for us, you know, the Americas, you know, the mightiest, you know, power, they have endless amounts of everything, infinite amounts of money. And, you know, the United States goes to other countries which are not NATO members asking for weapons. Yeah, like South Korea. South Korea. South Korea, yeah, please. Poland, some... Poland is forced to get loans from the United States to buy South Korean, you know, South Korean uh, the weapons to afterwards send them to Ukraine. Uh, and, uh, I, yeah, of course, this is ridiculous on its face, but this is how things are. Then Japan, now Israel. So what? The next offensive is going to be Israeli tanks with South Korean munitions and maybe with, like, Japanese spare parts or something. I mean, this this really sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it's a patchwork. Yeah. A patchwork trying to fill in the gaps that are increasing and increasing and yeah, trying course. to figure out where, where can we get this? How can we get the South Koreans to work with the yeah, Okay, but you, you're a former colonel yeah. to the U.S. Army. Can you really create an army that is uh, a viable army that is going to participate in a war, in an old-fashioned industrial war, with this hodgepodge supplies from this, from there, this, from there, and then without proper training? So, like, I mean, how how sustainable is that? It's not, Which is a rhetorical question. Yeah, but, it's yeah. not sustainable at all. And the the attempts of the U.S. to give training, uh, well, it's enough. It's not It's not the way we would train our own U.S. folks, but it's enough for the Ukrainians to at least to l learn how to use this type of tank or this new f artillery piece or this uh, aircraft. It's, I think the F-15 idea of training Ukrainian pilots to a certain standard, but it's way below what the U.S. will mean that uh, a lot of Ukrainian pilots get killed. Mm -hmm. Well, this brings up an issue that we haven't talked about because we said how much pressure there has been uh, to uh, support Ukraine to keep this war going. But um, we also should recognize that both on the Russian side and on the U.S. slash NATO side, there's been a reluctance to go too far. Mm. And, you know, you talked about the U.S. diving into this. Well, it hasn't really because in many ways they are afraid of getting into a war with Russia. 
They are. And yeah, okay. yeah. And they've been saying that all along. We don't want to send in U.S. troops. We don't want to. Yeah, but every red line that they make for themselves, they cross it two weeks later. Or two I know, later. but there's red lines and there's red lines. Okay. And the red line of getting U.S. troops involved is a real red line. And if that gets crossed, then you lose support from the American public. They don't want anybody dying. They don't want U.S. soldiers dying. But if, yeah, but if they knew how many U.S. soldiers are in Ukraine training Ukrainians in Ukraine, besides all of the people that uh, Ukrainians that are being trained by U.S. in in Poland, in Germany, other places, and in the United States, I mean, they're flying uh, Ukrainians to the United States to be trained in the U.S. on field artillery, on um, uh, airplanes, yeah. um, air, uh, mechanics, uh, you know, aircraft mechanics sort of stuff. So uh, if, if the U.S. really knew how many U.S. military were in Ukraine right now, and if, if by chance uh, some sort of Russian artillery hits an area where there are a lot of Americans and all of a sudden 50 Americans are killed, 100 Americans are killed, That'll really, that'll have a big impact. Huge impact, because now you have people in office crowing, saying, isn't this the greatest thing? Without one American life being lost, we are depleting Russian yeah. military. And was it yeah. Adam Schiff who said something like, we need to get the Russians fight there so we don't have to go to fight them here? Yeah, yeah, right, right. And um, so they they think this is great, you know, just keep depleting Russia, keep uh, having the Russian soldiers being killed, the Russian weapons being used up. And in the meantime, all we're doing is paying some money for it. We're not paying with lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, it's important to recognize that um, U.S. politicians don't want to see Americans dying there, don't want a direct war with Russia, uh, don't want to see the, uh, just as the other NATO countries don't want to see this war expand. Uh, and, I'm not so sure about Poland, actually, but yeah, okay. Well, do you think they want to fight Russians on Polish soil? Not on Polish soil, but I think they do want to fight Russians. I mean, there's a profound sentiment in the Polish elite that they want to confront the Russians militarily and in Ukraine, of course. In Ukraine, yeah. right, right, yeah. And so, you know, even the Americans, they had to pull their ears at one point at the beginning of the conflict when they said, we're going to send peacekeeping troops there. Of course, peacekeeping troops that are going to be able to defend themselves, which means literally we're going to shoot at the Russians. And then even then the Americans said, like, are you crazy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if Americans start dying in Ukraine, then there will be an issue that we are directly at war. Right now, there's this ridiculous facade. Yeah. We're not at war with Russia. You know, all we're doing is supplying some weapons to these other people. Yeah. Although <laughs> and, the American, sorry, not the American, but the German foreign minister, she yes, said she said we're actually at war, yeah, war with Russia. Germany's at war, yeah, not, but not the United <laughs> exactly. States. But if Americans start dying there, then we're at war. And then Congress has the responsibility. You know, it's, it's Congress's job by the Constitution to but do But they're going to package it as a peacekeeping mission again or not. But it becomes yeah. an issue. And then I think this silence that we're hearing or, or from Congress, they're saying, yeah, you know, go, go, go. Then I think things will start to change. Mm. So there's also a real force to say, let's not let this get out of control. Mm -hmm. And what about the American public? How do, how, what, what are, what is their, what is the reaction? What is the mass reaction? What is the reaction of the masses maybe uh, to, to the whole uh, PR spin around the war in Ukraine? Because you said, you see, you said something like people are starting to get tired. There are other important matters, domestic politics, uh, 
presidential election approaching. So is there, uh, are we reaching the kind of tipping point where people are just going to be become indifferent to a large extent to what's going on in Ukraine? I think they are indifferent. I They're all, we're all oh, here. Americans, for the most part, don't care about foreign policy. They're, they're very US-centered. Uh, when you look at the list of uh, things that people care about, especially when it comes to mm -hmm. election time, foreign policy issues are down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And most people so why why is Biden so uh, why why does Biden need victory if they care so little I mean if the American public cares so little about foreign policy why does he need this victory why does he well like that him? that's a good question I think uh, part of it is because uh, now that we're involved he has staked his reputations and and the Republicans will come oh. after him and say. You right know, through the throat. You, you lost. The Americans don't care about foreign policy, but they don't want to be losers either. And, you know, even though we lost in so many other places. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, then you, you, you try to, like, sweep that under the rug. In this case, I think uh, the Republicans are, are going to use it either way uh, in the elections. If things are going well or if things are going badly, they'll always say that it's Biden's fault. So Biden's fault he's not doing enough, and Biden's fault might be that he's got us too involved if indeed it, it becomes uh, a wider war. So, And if you look at, he's already got one defeat uh, chalked up to him by the Republicans that the Republicans actually caused, and that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan, mm -hmm. that he was handed the agreement by the Trump administration that cooked up this deal with only the Taliban, not even the Afghan government, uh, for the withdrawal of U.S. forces. Uh, but. It wasn't during the Trump administration because I think they knew it was going to be a difficult thing. So they put it off into the new administration, the Biden administration, and then it went very, very badly, which the Republicans remind him of every single day. You, you did that so badly. So he's already got one strike against him on military issues. And this second one of uh, um, being suckered in, in a way, <laughs> uh, uh, not really. I mean, the U.S. caused this thing uh, of, of, of the red lines, um, U.S. and NATO keeping pushing on Ukraine. But he's up he's up a creek where the Republicans are going after him big time about this. OK, we're going to go back to that. But uh, let's talk about red lines once more, uh, because you said there are red lines and red lines. So one real red line, from what I gather, would be American troops participating directly in the military confrontation between the forces of the Russian Federation, be it Wagner or, or you know, or the regular army or the Chechens. Or so. And and that's one. What about nuclear weapons? Because this is a big question mark here. And, you know, if people actually realized how close we are to, to this thing occurring, and everybody would be freaking out, really. But I guess there's not so much of a you know, profound realization of that. But anyway, what do you think? Is this a red line or is this something that is being contemplated? Because we've heard repeatedly American leaders uh, saying that, oh, you know, tactical nuclear weapons is not such a bad thing necessarily. It's tactical, you know. So it seems like they're preparing the public, softening it up a little bit. What do you think? Well, I certainly hope not. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> of course, and, when it comes uh, to hope, I hope. Yeah, and I think there are, there are plenty of people within the administration that are saying, uh, I mean, if we use any sort of nuclear weapon, it's doomsday for us all because it won't just stop with one tactical nuclear weapon on one little part of a battlefield. Once one of them goes, then the uh, whoever starts it 
this, the other per party is going to follow up with it. So I would hope that the, um, cool, heads prevail. the cool heads prevail on both sides of it. Yeah, or, but but I'm, I've heard many people saying that, uh, military analysts mostly saying that what they are afraid of is Ukraine, particularly with the Zaporozhye power, nuclear power plant, uh, plant and the uh, you know this offensive slash counteroffensive uh, that's going on, is that they are they are going to try and take over this Zaporozhye uh, nuclear power plant and stage some kind of small nuclear event to blame it on Russia, and then this could trigger all kinds of reactions which are very very dangerous and very close to a nuclear war. Do you think this is a viable prospect? Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, all, you can you can come up with endless scenarios, but one would certainly hope that cooler heads prevail. Okay, but what about the uh, the administration in the United States, the political administration, the military administration in the United States? There are are there people there that you can see, you can point your finger at, saying that the this man or that woman or you know this group they support actually using nuclear weapons. Is there a clear group that actually is? is crazy enough to, to go public with that kind of... No. I don't think so. Okay. I haven't heard of anyone that's actually uh, saying we need to use those things. Well, we've had Zelensky, you know, before the war began, uh, cheering how he's going to get nuclear weapons from somewhere, probably from uh, the United States. Um, he didn't say, he never said that, but no. he was kind of, you know... Uh, well, there's a lot of yeah. loose talk about yeah. loose nukes. Well, and that you could win a nuclear war. There's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. And, of course, neither Russia nor the United States are willing to sign on to no first use. Uh, and I think we should be concerned about Russia using nuclear weapons. I think there's very different uh, um, uh, talk coming out of Russia, from Putin particularly, uh, recently saying we would not use nuclear weapons, but, you know, we're going to put them in Belarus yeah, just in case and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think people should be extremely worried about mm -hmm. the use of nuclear weapons. I mean, if the if indeed there is a stalemate and a war of attrition, and we're seeing that now with so many soldiers killed yeah. every single day. I mean, to me, to think of one soldier killed is a, mm -hmm. such a tragedy. And then to put this into the hundreds and thousands of, you know, it, it's just awful. And so um, I don't think that we should be complacent and, and think that neither uh, Russia or the United States or NATO would mm -hmm. resort to, uh, would not resort to nuclear weapons. You know, it's very ironic in the United States to hear people say, Putin is a crazy man. Putin is a, you know, a, a maniac. But he's not going to use nuclear weapons. Yeah, he's just bluffing. You know, he won't use them. And, and you got to say, well, how do you know? Yeah. And uh, you know, there's there are are people who study these things who say, well, there's a ten percent chance. I mean, that's horrifying. Yeah, ten percent is like horrifying. That's right. And for example, when you get people like John Mearsheimer, uh, he clearly lays it out. He says, like Russia, of course, they're going to use nuclear weapons if they start losing on the battlefield. They're going to use nuclear weapons. There's a, a general who was the general, well, top, top general, general to um, to Angela Merkel in, in Germany for a long time, and he says that if uh, the West supports Ukraine in trying to seriously trying to get back Crimea, Russia will use nuclear weapons. Yeah. So no, yeah, that would the be a red line. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, 
the reactions of the public in the past and now because uh you you've uh, you've had this experience you said like from even dating back to vietnam right yeah and uh, there was this huge public pressure a, a huge movement also created by you know the anti-war forces the new left so-called and uh and that was a real movement with real achievements and do you see any prospects for this kind of mobilization today do you see what are the how different is the society today from that point of view like uh, the society in the american society plus the societies of to use the russian phrase collective west it's a totally different situation uh, i mean i've been involved since the days of vietnam as an anti-war activist and Anne and I have been working together for 20 years now, building opposition to the war in Iraq, opposition to the war in Afghanistan. This is harder than anything that I've experienced in my life. I mean, first of all, let's say again, it was Russia that invaded. So it's not a US uh, invasion that we're fighting against. And the narrative is so tight among the mainstream media and the political powers um, that Ukraine 100% good, uh, Russia 100,000% bad, uh, and um, uh, Putin is Hitler. And so this, um, this narrative is also that victory is around the corner, that Russia cannot it has possibly... Been around the corner for yeah. the last 18 months. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was around the corner in Afghanistan for 20 years, so, <laughs> so <you're used> to <laughs> that. this corner has been taking a long time. But yeah, uh, so um, the, uh, the American public has heard this over and over and over again, and the Democrats have been primed to be anti-Russian for the yeah. last you know, decade since um, uh, Trump's victory, saying that it was because of Russia that Trump yeah. won the election. Uh, and so you have a real anti-Russian sentiment and you have a real uh, just black and white narrative. And, um, and so it's very difficult. And you also have many people in the left who have been uh, anti-war pacifists for their entire lives who say this one is different, this yeah. time is different. And I've been on this speaking tour with a, a book um, and as I've been going from city to city, it actually got worse and worse with more organized protests as I would go around. And I hadn't seen this kind of vicious, aggressive yes. hatred of me. Yeah. I mean, from the left. This, from the left. From the left. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, yeah. right? And uh, I've had book talks canceled at universities, canceled at university bookstores and other bookstores canceled at peace churches yeah. uh, and um, uh, it's really been quite a, 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 a strange and uh, discomforting experience. Yeah. I can understand if people have a different opinion, a different analysis of how this happened. You know, you can trace it to, you say Maidan, uh, the uprising was a purely people's uprising for dignity. And, and Victoria Newland was there handing out cookies just but accidentally. But she was just a tiny, she, she really didn't play a major part uh, versus the kind of narrative that I put out in the book of saying, yes, the U.S. got very involved and played a major role in this. You can have differences and, you know, take each part of history and you can interpret it into different ways. You know, that is important to have 
intellectual and uh, civil discussions about it. But to turn people against each other in such a vicious way because you want to end a conflict that you think is unwinnable at the battlefield and because you all agree that you want Ukrainians to stop dying, that to me is very dangerous. Yeah. And this is new, right? This is absolutely this is new. new. And again, you know, it's a small percentage of the population because most people don't care about Ukraine, don't yeah, know where that, Ukraine true. is and everything. You, you know, that, that's true. It's a small percentage of the population, but yet it's the most active part of the public opinion, isn't it? And like, the people who would normally be the, organizing exactly, be activists. You, right? yeah. yes. And the other thing to recognize that makes it even stranger is that uh, since the progressive Democrats in Congress got knocked down last October when they came out with a letter calling for negotiations. Yeah, which was a ridiculous, ridiculous. act of cowardice. Yeah. I've never seen anything, you know. In 24 hours, life. imagine that. Yeah. Retracting their own mild letter of not even criticism, just saying that maybe we should talk. You yeah. Know? So since That's that strange. was pushed down, they have been quiet. And then the only ones speaking out are people on the extreme right, and now a little bit more not such extreme right, mm -hmm. but still the right. Mm -hmm. And so when you get organized uh, uh, protests, you get a weird configuration yeah. of people who are but the organizers. Exactly, but isn't that isn't that the sad irony of our times that? You know, Tucker Carlson today speaks wiser than many of my, you know, former, I should say, comrades today, like in terms of international relations. I mean, and not a, and yeah. Donald Trump. And I Donald mean, Trump, when right? Donald Trump yeah. says, elect me and within 24 hours, I will solve this problem because I'll call my good friends uh, Zelensky and Putin. And people are, wow, oh, what a great idea. You know, let's let's try that. Which on the surface, at least, it is a great idea. Let's try it, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it is, uh, it is a strange situation indeed, and it puts us in a very uncomfortable position. But we are dealing with that, and, and we are dealing with it by building up the opposition from among our allies. Again, I'd like to remind you that The Barricade is an independent media outlet based in Bulgaria, which I co-run with a colleague from Bucharest, uh, Dr. Maria Cernat whom I mentioned already, uh, check out our website, our YouTube channel, and our channels on Rumble and Odyssey. Our videos are also available on Substack, where you can also find audio versions of our podcasts and articles. Our audio productions are also available on Spotify and SoundCloud. Uh, and one more important, I think, remark, none of our videos or audios are monetized. Uh, if you see an advertisement in the middle of the podcast, feel free to skip it. It doesn't help us in any way. If you believe our journalistic efforts are important and worthy of your support, then please consider subscribing to our channel, sharing with your friends and followers and making a one-off donation or purchasing a monthly subscription through Patreon or Substack. The description box contains all the necessary links. Uh, you can uh, also help to support our Eastern European independent journalism by using our media company, Nonstop Media, for all kinds of commercial purposes. Uh, we've worked in media, reporting, design, video, audio and text editing, publishing, translations, interpreting, event planning and variety of other fields. Uh, we have fantastic specialists on board who can do amazing things with words and images. For more information, go ahead and visit our website at nonstopmedia.eu. Thank you.